Hello all, this is producer Ryan Kulik, and I'm here to introduce part two of Marianne Christie's conversations with Susie Chapstick Chaffee and her friends. Marianne recorded these. I actually wasn't there, but Marianne recorded these at Vermont when Susie was being inducted into the Vermont Sports Hall of Fame. It was a big celebration because not just as a great accomplishment for Susie, but a lot of her friends, a lot of people who have been there her whole career, be it her, uh, her skiing career or her career in activism. So we wanted to kind of get their viewpoint, have them ask Susie a few questions and reflect on a life of accomplishment. If you are interested more about uh, any of the stuff concerning Susie, Marianne, or High Heels in Politics, please do reach out to us. But I don't want to keep going on and on. You guys are here to hear Marianne and Susie. And then this time they're with an old family friend, Stan, that they're going to discuss her, Susie's incredible career. So again, I thank you guys, and let's hand it over to Marianne. Welcome to High Heels in Politics, the podcast where we talk with the leaders of Ohio and beyond. And now, your host, Marianne Christie. Susie Chaffee, our guest, is recognized as one of the 50 greatest sports figure of the century. Susie was born and raised in Rutland, Vermont, and many know her as Susie Chapstick. As your host, Marianne Christie, Susie's cousin, and Stanley Rombo, an avid skier, to talk about her journey in achieving many national and international recognitions and the splash she made around the world with her silver suit at the 1968 Winter Olympics. Stanley and I were in Grenoble, France, and witnessed the impact she had on ski fashion. Susie's family, Stan, we all were at the ski resort in Chamrousse that was built for the Winter Olympics, located in the French Alps, eight miles from Grenoble. It was truly an unforgettable experience at the opening Olympic ceremony. The first sound to fill the stadium was a single trumpet as the French national anthem was played. And then a spotlight centered on one lone male figure who happened to be the French president, Charles de Gaulle. The lights dimmed after the national anthem, and the night sky was filled with bursts of fireworks. Then the athletes from around the world proudly walked into the stadium as the anthems from their country was played. The celebration continued, hundreds of performers featuring French culture and history. As the program was entering, a lone figure carrying the Olympic flame that had been carried from Greece lit the cauldron that officially opened the Winter Olympics in Grenoble. It was a salute to the accomplishments of human achievements and the celebration of the spirit of competition. Dan, you met Susie when both of you were students at the University of Denver. Talk about Susie's skiing achievements before the 68 Olympics, and what was your impression of Susie and the press at the Olympic Games? 
I met Susie at a mixer during freshman orientation week at the University of Denver. This was in September of 1965. I saw this beautiful tall blonde across the dance floor and made my way over to ask her for a dance. She introduced herself and I asked, Susie Chaffee, Glamour Magazine, Best Dressed College Issues, Susie Chaffee? Yes, she, she replied. How did you know? I said, well, before I drove out from New York, I was at the dental office, and in the waiting, waiting room was this college issue from Glamour Magazine. I wonder if anybody from DU was featured. <laughs> and that was the start of a, le- a year-long romance. Unfortunately, the following year, she transferred to the University of Washington. Two years later, I did a junior year abroad at the University of Grenoble in France, ostensibly to learn French, but actually to watch Susie ski in the 1968 Olympic Games. My impression of Susie at the Olympics? Well, who doesn't love a statuesque, gorgeous blonde in a spray-on silver racing suit? (laughs) And you're looking awesome, too, after all these years. (laughs) Oh, thank you. And you joined my family there, and you saved each other. Because you have running into couple complications, and we sure had a great time then. And um, one of the things I remember in, in the Olympics is feeling like I was ten feet tall when I walked into that stadium and felt the oneness. And I regret that you you became a great photographer, did the cover of Architectural Digest in the Adirondacks, and. You didn't capture this really magical moment where the silver suit, because we missed the wax and the downhill, but still fashion saved my butt. I was going into the tramway. You know how the the gendarmes of, of France would hold the sword up for the presidents so they'd walk under it? Someone whistled, and they all put their shovels up, and I walked under it like the Queen of France. <laughs> and that would have been a great shot. Sure have had some great times over the years and also like flying to Carmel to the tennis ranch and, and your, your parents, Cliff Robertson, Dina Merrill helping our U.S. ski team when we were still so poor to be able to not miss the wax, for example, by hosting the U.S. ski ball in New York. And now you're doing the most to help save our snow after the Utes had saved. He has a condo in beautiful condo in Vail, and the Utes say Vail in the our opening in 62, and then for, forever onward, because they all help each other and share the skiing, and so it was beautiful. So he's well, a believer. <laughs> well, you and Stan Rombo seem to have uh, had a long family relationship, and right. one that families. you shared a, a lot mm-hmm. of things together. And that's why Stan is here joining us, because he was there with the Chaffee family in Grenoble. Well, now, Susie, I'm going to ask you the following question. In the 68 Olympics, Avery Brundage, member of the International Ski Committee and the International Ski Foundation, was questioning the future of allowing alpine skiing in the Olympics. You went toe-to-toe with Brundage. Go ahead and tell us about you and Avery. I found out that Avery had sold out America to the countries with funded that funded their athletes and were only enforcing the amateur rules on us. And so that's why we were so poor and missed the wax. So I, when I was modeling internationally, I took a vacation in Olympia, Greece and found out the ancient Olympics were so successful in Amis for a thousand years 
because they were open and honest. And that's how we changed the rules. That missing the wax, that anger I recycled into uniting the world athletes with Bill Bradley, Muhammad Ali, the vice president of the International Olympic Committee, and we brought back the integrity of the ancient games to the modern that had been the greatest force for peace in the world. I wrote the rule that athletes could be in commercials and ads as long as, as a portion goes to helping other athletes. So it helped Madison Avenue pay for our sports and give millions of more kids the opportunities to make the Olympics. And the other silver lining of, of the silver suit was when I got back, uh, Vice President Humphrey asked me to lead the press conferences in the major cities when they were all burning with the riots. And, well, the Vietnam War, right? Yes, right, and leaving the blacks out of the American dream. So so all these summer Olympians came and did clinics in in the, we called it ghettos then, bringing their love to those inner cities and caring and showing them here are the possibilities, other possibilities in life. And it stopped the, the burning of, of 120 cities. So I saw the power of sports and fashion, and I was committed to giving back, and that's what made me happy. <laughs> Great. Now, Susie, discuss what type of skiing competition you were involved in that led to the Olympics. What challenges or obstacles you encountered? What prompted you to develop freestyle and ballet skiing? And talk about your accomplishments in these new skiing categories. How has freestyle skiing evolved, and what advice would you give young athletes in pursuing? Who are the top freestyle skiers today? Whoa. <laughs> First of all, I have to say that the setbacks were really some of the most valuable things I had in life. My first coach said, you're a pretty little thing, but you're never going to make it. But my mother had said, you can do anything you put your mind to. My And my brother said, if you win a ski race, it really doesn't matter because it's against girls. And then at Denver University... Remember, I had to hitchhike 80 miles to get to on snow training with a men's team because I couldn't ride in the team car because I didn't have NCAA insurance because I was a girl or couldn't get a scholarship. So all those things jet propelled me to the Grenoble Olympics and then also to lead the Title IX March to give women equal opportunities in sports and education in the schools so that hundreds of millions of girls got the joy and the health of skiing and sports. And that made me happy, actually, more than the titles. Interesting, the, your life story. But you were inducted into the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame in 1988 in three categories, followed by the induction into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame and the 2004 Vermont Hall of, or in the Vermont Hall of Fame. Ski Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Ski Hall of Fame. And now Your, the Sports Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. And her work in promoting Native American rights and culture through skiing. So talk about these accomplishments. I think the, the greatest accomplishment that I have to date is actually helping Native Americans have a chance to ski in their ancestral mountains, which inspires them to do the snow dances, which have been saving the skiers from droughts and wildfires since 1960, when Walt Disney figured out how the tribes have been preventing these droughts and, and wildfires for eons. And he asked the Washoe tribe in Lake Tahoe 
to lead a snow dance. They got 11 feet, saved their snowless Olympics, and then Vail and all these other ski areas followed. But it was very sporadic. So Keen, who is your favorite relative, well, <laughs> besides my your mother, father. Keen, yes, <laughs> he used to fish and hunt with the tribes. And so when I moved to Telluride, in 19, that's Colorado, in 1995, I was inspired to share the joy of skiing with a Native American. And in appreciation, he then saved the skiery with a snow dance that saved their Christmas. And it took me four weather miracles, including ending the worst drought since the Dust Bowl in Kansas, to see that Mother Earth really listens. When that big black cloud came, I go, okay, I got it. it this is not a coincidence. And started the foundation and the Native American Olympic Team Foundation. And then my Olympian friends voted. They knew about the snow dances and voted our foundation the seed money so that we could spread it across the U.S. and Canada. But right after the COVID, the ski programs had pretty much dried up just when we needed the most, when the West was on fire. Now there's a big chance to make this happen thanks to Biden giving uh, Secretary of Agriculture uh, Vilsack $50 billion to end droughts and fires. And he's already had huge success doing the Native American control burns that my Harvard brother, Kim, is one of the leaders of. They've controlled the fires on the West Coast for the first time since 2018. But just that's great. But they need the part that prevents the droughts in the first place. And they could simply do this by giving ski areas tax credits so that they can host native ski programs and inspire the snow dances. And the ski areas and the tribes love this idea. And now 500 athletes around the world have risen up and are kicking butt for the leaders to do more to save our snow. Susie's energy and abilities provided her ongoing success in other work. She was on the President's Council of Fitness under five presidents. First woman to serve on the U.S. Olympic Committee of Board of Directors. Her lobbying work led to Congress passing the Title IX. She lobbied congressional members on behalf of the Amateur Sports Act and established rules and regulations for amateur sports and ensured equal opportunities for women. She added to her success as a TV commentator and as a movie star. She starred in Fire and Ice, a great movie. I've seen it many, many times. <laughs> in addition to her success on the slopes, Susie gained recognition as an international model, appearing on the cover of Sports Illustrated and working with high-profile brands such as Colgate, Dannon, and Chevrolet. Your ultra-bright commercial was named the commercial of the decade in the 1970s. Your skiing commercial is Susie Chapstick, Chaffee, is 50 years later a media success. Overall, Susie is a multifaceted figure that has made significant contributions to the world of skiing, sports, equal pay, and climate change. What were the forces that brought you to work on all these issues? Well, thank you. You know, a little eight-year-old girl came up to me and said, how'd you get to be Susie Chapstick? And I said, you know, that's a very good question. I think it's caring about people. Before I did the commercial, I said, I'm going to put love out into the world. And the Revlon, for example, women, it was for the woman of the 70s who could still make it in the man's world and be feminine. That was the four 
when it was so butch to do sports. So we made it cool to be sports and feminine. I think I just want to help spread the joy because it gives me such joy to spread that, to spread that joy to others and health and equality. So we can have a world that is fun for everybody to be in and we all support each other. So those are the things that really matter to me. And it was President Ford's advertising guy after skiing with uh, President Ford and uh, Vail, and he solved problems for our Amateur Sports Act on the, on the chairlift. <laughs> His advertising guy said, it's really wonderful what you've done. I want to give you the Susie Chapstick commercial. And it became the first fun fitness commercial in America in the 70s when people didn't consider sports. It, you know, it was frivolous. In fact, the president's council, you know what their budget was? How important sports today is to prevent all these health issues? One million dollars back in the 70s and 80s. So I was trying to kick butt and wake people up that this is the best thing. In fact, Title IX helped the giving women equal opportunities in sports and education since the 70s and career opportunities. It boosted the economy three trillion dollars from that. And I know that because I called them up when I was so excited when I saw that if women, if we pass the Fair Paycheck Act in the, in, in the United States in the Congress, because we're 57th in equality in America, that it would boost the economy 4.3 trillion so that we could afford a renewable powered America and end these abuses, giving women back their their rights and feed 15 million children that are going to bed hungry, create a really work that works. And this is what I'm doing with you, Marianne Christie. We're bipartisan supporters of this because this is an issue that's important for everybody. You know, Susie, you've been a world champion skier and very important people, very famous people and leaders around the world have asked you to ski with them. Who were the most interesting persons that you have skied with? Well, they were all interesting in their own right. But I really enjoyed helping people with their ski challenges. For example, President Ford, was they used to make fun of him for falling all the time, right? Because <laughs> you skied a lot of Vail. You had a place in Vail. And I put, this is in the beginning of, um, I put music into freestyle skiing when I helped develop that in ski ballet because I'd been a ballerina as a child. But I brought music to those contests, which turned it from a competition to a, um, a communion. And it brought thousands of people up and they were rocking with us. So I put the music headphones on. President Ford, and when no one was doing that yet, and I put the song Young Americans on him, and he was following me down the mountain and having such a good time. And when we got to the bottom, I said, I challenge the press, because they're all the press there at the bottom. I said, I challenge you to take on President Ford, who's the fittest president since JFK. And I said, do I have any takers? <laughs> and there was like, no one. <laughs> so that made me feel good. Skiing with the Queen of Iran was fascinating. She was uh, one of the early women, uh, leaders of women's rights and opportunities. And she was the best skier of all the heads of state 
Billy Kidd and I did synchronized skiing together, toe to toe. Billy said, I don't know if this is going to be, you know, if she crashes, we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, she can do it. She said, yeah. And I gave her a little ski ballet, a Royal Christie we did together. But anyway, <laughs> speaking of your name, but one thing we did is a Cowboys and Indians chase. And I gave her this Indian headdress down to the ground, as beautiful as one of the gifts from our culture to theirs. When we were doing the Cowboys and Indians chase, you know, Billy with his cowboy hat, the whole mountain erupted in woo, 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 woo. And we couldn't believe that that would, had translated over to Iran. The wildest ski season I ever had began on New Year's Day, high over the Mediterranean on a 747, headed for Iran, looking for powder snow in the Middle East. I was with Billy Kidd and Susie Shaffey, and our first stop was Tehran. Of course, everywhere we went, we drew a sizable crowd. I don't know why. What's so special about a tall blonde standing in the streets of a Middle East capital, wearing a skin-tight powder blue fluorescent stretch suit covered with toothpaste ads? Halfway down the mountain at the Midway Station, Billy and Susie have the opportunity to meet one of the local avid skiers. The Empress of Iran. Her Majesty Faradiba. Susie was inquisitive about the Iranian women's role in sports, while Billy suggested that they take a few runs together. It's not every day you can go skiing with a queen. On the way up, Susie discussed women's lib and probably tried to make a good deal on a used oil well. She matched Billy and Susie, turn for turn. In all the years of skiing, there's one run Billy Kidd and Susie Shaffey will never forget. It's the one they took with Her Majesty Faradiva, Queen of Persia, Empress of Iran. Fifty years later, when that nuclear freeze situation, that negotiation yep. was up, they took that video of us skiing together with her, and it went viral, and it helped warm the hearts of the Iranians, so they did that deal, we were told. Interesting. Susie, as a co-founder of the Native American Olympic Team Foundation, your work brought about a working relationship between the Indian tribes and ski areas. The Olympic Games in Salt Lake City had these tribes as part of the opening ceremony. How can people contact you to support you in this effort and donate to the Native American Foundation? Well, thank you. It was the Clintons that helped us make sure we could open honoring the first Americans. It was biggest NBC um, ratings in their history. And then they asked our foundation to lead the snow dance that then saved them. And so we're doing all these important things. And if people could give us a hand, we could, together as a team, save our snow. And people could flex their muscles by giving us a hand through the Native American Olympic Team Foundation, which is naotf.org. Say that again, N-O. N-A-O. TF.org. And thank you, because we could use a hand and win this and save our snow for future generations like okay. you and Stan are doing the most to do. Well, Susie, your road for, to success has not been without personal major challenges. Do you just want to share some personal stories? Well, again, as I say, those setbacks in life have been empowered me or pointed me in the right directions. Although I first, I had a car accident and 
and first got to express love to my family because that was, we were all suppressed back then in that generation. And then when I had injuries like with my hip and knee, and I found that if I went to some place, I always wanted to go like Asia or India, Europe, it would make me feel good while I was rehabbing and take my mind off the negative part and give myself a upbeat energy because it's all about vibration and energy and yeah, but Susie, you Kill had a ma- you had a major fall during a national national or international yeah. competition, and many of us witnessed it on TV. Yeah, the World Series ski racing in Vail, yes, and they couldn't put my hip in place there at the Vail Clinic, so we had to drive me all the way to Denver, which was not good for my hip. My mother invented having a doctor, a U.S. ski team doctor on hand so they could take care of us. And so that was one of the biggest contributions that my Olympic mother, whose family escaped Belarus and then she escaped the farm and against all odds made it up to be alternate on the Olympic team. But it was the year the war broke out, World War II. So instead, she recycled that to beating the international record at uh, Mount Mansfield for the downhill, which is our event, then giving us a chance to get our Olympic dreams along with my father, Keen, who invented, who built the first two saved missile for von Braun. And then she taught me to be an activist who would shoot for the moon. That's what I've been doing. (laughs) Stan, you've been in the ski industry and you have a question to ask Susie. What are you doing tonight, Susie? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I'm being inducted in the Hall of Fame, and would you be my guest? (laughs) Absolutely. Susie, you've used your platform to help the skiing industry and your work to help with financial support of athletes. Thank you. Oh, it was my pleasure, my joy. I just want to say in closing, I want to thank you for letting High Heels and Politics highlight you at this prestigious Vermont Sports Hall of Fame. Your significant contributions help create more opportunities and access for all athletes. Thank you for sharing your impressive and inspiring stories. Again, I'm going to ask you how can listeners contact you to help you in your efforts is one thing with climate change and some of these other works. Paycheck Fairness Act, yes. Yeah. And your contrib- and how can they contribute to your work as an executive director? Through the Native American Olympic Team Foundation. And our website is naotf.org. Please contact us and learn more what you can do. And don't you want them to contact their congressman to... Absolutely. Push for what? For the passage of the amateur sports... No, excuse me, <laughs> the Paycheck Fairness Act and and for both parties, because it was the bipartisan support by George Bush Sr. And, and Kennedy that got Title IX to lift up America, and we need lifting up again through this equal opportunities for in pay for women. I and they're getting 50% of the pay now, according to the revised U.S. Census, not 20% less. So that's why we're in trouble. All right. But you also met with Senator Welch from Vermont here. Right. 
his asking for support his and- team also to push Vilsack, Secretary of Agriculture Vilsack, to give the tax credits to the ski areas so that they can afford, because they're struggling to be able to afford to host native ski programs that inspire the snow dances that can help restore the snow across the U.S. And like the Nobel Prize winner from Stanford said, all the ski areas in the world should share the skiing. This is basically a snow dance Hail Mary for our climate. Thank you, Susie. That was an amazing, amazing uh, interview. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you both. What's, that's teamwork. Yes. That's what it looks Bye-bye. like. Right. <laughs>